Hi everyone! <laughs> welcome, welcome to a new episode from the series of lives that we do on the book The Reason I Jump. Yay! <laughs> In this episode we will talk about um, friendships and uh, how important um, or needed is for autistic people and autistic children to um, be in the company of others. There is this um, uh, misconception that autistic people or children like being on their own. So let's see what um, our guests. We have two fantastic guests and uh, of course we have the fabulous Jen Slayton who is going to join us uh, because I can't do this by myself. It was all Jen's idea. <laughs> Oh, hi, Jen. Hi, uh, it was actually teamwork. <laughs> <laughs> hi, Denise. Hello, ladies. Hi. Good to see everyone. <laughs> Good to see you too. I'm just gonna um, invite the other Jen. <laughs> oh, yeah. Two Jens. Yes. <laughs> Never too many Jens is what I say. No. Yeah, hi, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everybody, so um, I'm handing it over to Jen, <laughs> our, our moderator for today. Okay. <laughs> All right, well I want to thank everybody for being here and people that are joining. Um, <clears throat> and I thought we, I'd like to just start with a brief introduction. So um, I'm a psychotherapist and a coach, and I specialize in autism and neurodiversity, which I've been doing for a very long time, which I won't say how long. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I just am really excited to do these. I'm learning so much from parents and autistic adults, and this has just been fantastic. So Bella, why don't you introduce yourself, and then we'll go to our guests. Yes, um, I am Bella. I've been a teacher for um, 20 years and then I retired to be at home with my neurodivergent um, daughter and husband. We, yeah, are part of a neurodivergent family. And um, I uh, work with autistic children, um, currently uh, delivering music sessions for their well-being. Um, who would like to start first? <laughs> Jen? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Why not? Um, so I'm Jen. Um, I uh, post on uh, Life of a Neurodivergent. I'm an autistic adult, um, also dyspraxic, dyslexic, and ADHD. And um, I currently am self-employed and own my own business called Diawe Vinci, and I'm very into all the arts and crafts. So, What, what is your Great business? Great to meet you. Diawe Vinci. Okay. Vinci. Yeah. Like Da Vinci. Very cute. <laughs> Very cute. Yeah, so I'd love to check that out. Yeah. Nice to meet you. We haven't. Yeah, you too. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Denise. I'm in Los Angeles. And I am the parent, the proud parent of a son who's on the spectrum with ADHD. He's eight years old now. And it's what Jen said, you never stop learning. It's, it's a constant learning. There's always something new, another experience, another way of perspective to see something. And I'm glad to be here because um, what another mother of mine, um, we started a 
camp last summer called the Friendship Factor. And it was really the aim of that was after the pandemic, we saw a lot of regression, the isolation that our children were experiencing. And we want to do something about it. So we, um, our aim was to provide a safe space where our kids could connect, play, be creative, and um, communicate in their own way. And I think um, the topic today is very relevant to that. Um, how do neurodiverse kids feel about um, social interactions, making friendships, how they go about that? And there's definitely different stages of it. So I'm excited to be here and learn more. Share and learn more. Yes, I'm excited to hear more about your camp and how you set that up as we go along. And I'll just say I'm in Los Angeles, too. I'm in Long Beach, so we're in the same community. Angelina. And all the time I thought you were in California. So. <laughs> no, Los Angeles, California. Sunny and warm. <laughs> My geography is mixed up. I feel the same way about Europe when I hear about different different cities and stuff so all right so what I'd like to do is we have a chapter out of the reason I jump and the book is written by Naoki Higashida who <laughs> at the time 13 years old a nonverbal boy autistic boy so he wrote this book using an alphabet keyboard. And our guest last week, I was so amazed, her, um, Sonia, her son, um, Sophie, I'm sorry, her son, um, I think he was nine at the time, he communicated to her by finding chapters in the book and showing them to his mom to let her know how he was feeling. So that was, that was amazing. So this chapter is called, Do You Prefer to Be on Your Own? It says, ah, uh, don't worry about him. He'd rather be on his own. How many times have we heard this? I can't believe that anyone born as a human being really wants to be left all on their own. Not really. No, for people with autism, what we're anxious about is that we're causing trouble for the rest of you or even getting on your nerves. This is why it's hard for us to stay around other people. This is why we often end up being left on our own. The truth is we'd love to be with other people, but because things never ever go right, we end up getting used to being alone without even noticing this is happening. Whenever I hear someone remark how much I prefer being on my own, it makes me feel desperately lonely. It's as if they're deliberately giving me the cold shoulder treatment. So that's the end of the chapter. So many of these chapters are just heartbreaking. Um, I guess I'd like to go to you, Jen, first. And how do you resonate with that? And is that something similar that you experienced or you've had a different experience? For sure. Um, basically, for me, I can almost say, you know, to, the answer to the question, do you prefer to be on your own, is both yes and no for me. Um, yes, in the instance of, I do like to be um, on my own sometimes when I need help, you know, like extra processing time to process, you know, the day's events. Um, I'm overstimulated. So there's just like, I already had enough of the world around me. I just need some time to myself um, or, you know, demand avoidance um, kind of, you know, all these demands and pressures kind of build. It's kind of the overstimulation part of it. 
um, just to be, you know, alone and not have that pressure kind of helps as well. And then also, yes, because um, we typically have a very rich imagination. So we love like hearing um, or, you know, imagining different things, um, you know, our own internal dialogue. Um, you know, I have people assume all the time that, oh, you're so quiet, you must not have, you know, much going through your head. And that's completely the opposite. Um, there's quite a bit uh, going through the head a lot. So um, also, no, um, because, you know, as human beings, you know, like they said in the book, we all enjoy um, community um, and feeling connected with someone, like someone with, uh, you know, a special interest that we share, um, you know, someone who understands and is part of like, you know, a support network. So it really depends on the person um, that can definitely mm -hmm. help. But um, so yes and no for me. That makes a total sense. I think that's what I've observed too. That's really true. Um, do you feel like anxious in social interactions? Are you comfortable? How is, do you avoid them because you might have anxiety? Definitely. I um, also have a generalized anxiety disorder. Um, so, you know, social conversations, I do get pretty anxious about, um, like, leading up to it, especially if I know it's coming, um, or even, like, during it. I, like, sometimes I don't think my brain can process it fast enough to be like, mm -hmm. oh, I can, you know, contribute to this conversation. And by the time I get to the point, you know, the conversation's moved on. So therefore, I end up being more quiet during um, social interactions just because I can't keep up with it. So. And is that, does the anxiety come up then too when you can't keep yeah. up? Yeah. 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 So the, the anxiety typically spikes during that. Um, or especially if it's someone I'm not familiar with, just taking in all that new information at once kind of adds to that as well. So. Right. Right. Thank you so much. Yeah. Like, I can see how, you know, with kids that that anxiety and that overstimulation where people get the idea that they're loners, they don't want to be around people, and it's, it's helping them find that balance. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. sure. How about you, Denise? Yeah, I understand how what Jen is saying, because I experienced that with my child. Um, you know, the myth is that there's just they're really self-interested and they just want to have their own special interest and don't are not really curious about other people. Um, and there's different levels of that. I think those are some, we need to be more acceptance of and understanding there's, those are their strengths, you know, and really um, encourage those things, but then also give them exposure to other things and other and social interactions, but on their own terms as well. So um, I know in our camp, we made it possible for um, them to do things on their own time. So we didn't really put pressure on things like giving eye contact or staying on topic or, you know, if, if a child wanted to wander, of course, we were, we kept our eye on them, but if they needed some time to be alone, that was okay. We didn't pressure them to join the group. And we made the activities um, um, center around interest. So all kids like to jump and play. And we saw a lot of teamwork happening and support of each other. That's one of the really important tenets of our, um, of our camp. It was shared experiences. 
so they could support one another. And this, our camp was specifically for neurodiverse and neurotypical kids because a lot of neurotypical individuals have to learn that these behaviors aren't so strange. They're just different. Um, we all, you know, communicate differently. Different cultures do things, handshake differently, you know, um, many different ways. And it's just another way of communicating. So um, definitely we stressed acceptance and understanding. And I think both neurotypical and neurodivergent children in the camp appreciated that and learned from it. Yeah, so you broke up a bit, but you said, so the camp is for both? Yes, that's what it was about diversity, equity and inclusion. And it was a nice balance of it was 12 children, with a nice balance of like, I think, seven neurodiverse and um, five neurotypical wow. boys and girls. That's lovely. Yeah. Yeah. So what did the parents talk about from that experience? Did they see changes in their children from having that experience? It did. It created space for the neurotypical children to understand that we all go through struggles and that sometimes it's just taking a step back to listen and understand, like I said, it's differences of how we express ourselves. And I mean, they're children. All children have meltdowns in different degrees. So I think it was opened up conversation with the parents and their neurotypical, their neurotypical children to understand that we all are different and there's acceptance and that we can have things in common and just a way of understanding that, that it's not too weird. It's not, you know, it's not dangerous. It's not, it's not anything that has to be afraid of. It's just a, a different way of expression. And imagine as those kids get older and they're in a work environment with neurodiverse adults, you know, that's beautiful. Yeah, um, I think one of the topics is like when some parents say, just leave them, they don't want to, you know, socialize, I don't want to put pressure on them. We don't want to pressure our children, but I've always come from the place of expose them. And gradually, they will become more comfortable. I know that our son wasn't able to go to a movie at the age of four, he couldn't take the dark lights, this, there's you know, the big screen, there was just too much stimulation. Um, so there's quite a few times there were, you know, meltdowns and screaming and whatnot. But we, we created spaces in our home, so that he became more familiar with watching the screen and hearing it at different levels. And now it's, well, no one can go to the movies much anymore, but he became familiar with it. And, and um, same thing with um, crowds. Um, I was, I traveled for work um, previously before the pandemic. So we got him on airplanes. There was a lot of uncomfortable situations, people looking at us, caring, you know, having to explain ourselves. And I think that's the one thing that um, with our camp, we really want to educate and um, we want to educate so that those uncomfortable situations become less and less so that, people aren't looking at your child and going, he's just spoiled. They're rude. They don't, they have no control over him. No, this is, he's on the spectrum. This is a very sensory environment. You know, this, he's not really comfortable right now, but we have these tools. We've brought this, this and that. 
and we're going to get it under control. And so now we're um, creating some empathy and understanding. That's wonderful. <laughs> Bella, do you want to read some of the comments? Yes. Um, they are there on the computer. So sorry, I'm looking that way. <laughs> um, yes. So we had quite a few people joining us. Thank you very much. It's really amazing. And um, it seems to be um, always like a variety of neurodivergent and also neurotypical people, which is really amazing that everybody wants to join the conversation and, uh, you know, learn. And then I, I, I love um, uh, Denise's idea, you know, uh, and the camp, because like you said, imagine those children growing uh, with... Um, the right information about the different children and also they go back in their families and they explain you know what have they seen and why some things are happening and how actually they had fun with the neurodivergent children so anyway it says um we have a comment from amai staff i'm not sure i'm saying it right so it says that's really interesting i've also wrongly assumed that silence means the mind is quiet the mind is quiet, definitely food for thought. Um, and then she says, my son is autistic and nonverbal, and I've just learned from this live that he also needs um, processing time. I've been calling it decompression, but limiting it where I can. But then limiting the time may not allow enough time to process, um, enough processing time. So... Yeah, I think I'm pretty sure somebody can comment on this. Either you, <laughs> you, Jen, <laughs> your experience. And um, yes, uh, actually, autism says I'm relating to you, uh, life of a neurodivergent. I also have um, generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and what else have we got over there? Yes. So, yeah, it's really. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Um, yeah, I would love to hear from Jen about that. As far as processing time, how does a parent know when to kind of pull their child out of their room? Or what would you say to that? Um, basically, I think um, even just asking them would be, you know, a good way to go. You know, are you overwhelmed? Um, sometimes it's hard for us to gauge exactly what we're feeling um i have alexthemia i think it's pronounced um uh, so it's like, we don't always know our like emotions and like we're feeling it but we're not how knowing how to relate to it so we may be overwhelmed and may not be displaying it normally or how others would think we would be displaying it for me it comes out more in um shutting down and anxiety so if i'm like um, super quiet, not engaging much. Um, that's a sign I'm overwhelmed. Um, when it's processing time, it's usually more like, um, you know, I'll have more hesitations in my speech or, you know, I'm not contributing to the conversation as much. So I may need a, a more of a prompting question or more direct, um, you know, more direct question okay. or my name, you know, Said, so like, you know, Jen, this, you know, that kind of directs me to um, re-engage in the conversation. So I think, um, you know, pulling out, you could always just give, um, 
you know, ask, you know, do you want to go do something else quietly? Or, um, you know, ask them a question to see if they will mm -hmm. re-engage into the conversation. So, so if you're um, <clears throat> kind of taking time to yourself and you're in your imagination and, and um, is there, um, as a parent, how much should they be concerned about their child being engaged with the family or doing other things versus in their own imagination? Do you know what I'm asking? Like, is it, is it too much sometimes or what would you I say? Think, yeah, definitely. There can be like um, a fine balance. I find sometimes I can get hyper-focused into um, my imagination. So uh, it could be a book. It could be um, just my drawing. Sometimes I'll be like, um, get into a drawing and at noon and by the end of the day, it's evening and I don't know what happened. <laughs> so hyper-focused sometimes it's like, oh, you know, that might take away from eating or drinking or using the restroom. So when it's affecting that, definitely um, try to incorporate some breaks in there. Um, but I do also find that like if I'm really into something and having an interruption and being forced to go a different way will also, you know, induce more anxiety or um, even agitation or irritation because I was so into this thing and now I have to redirect to something else so that um, executive functioning kind of hits right there as right. well. I mean, that's where some of the kids, the meltdowns happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. indeed. <laughs> yeah. I know we learned early on about prompting and letting them know how the day is going to go and what activities we're going to do and the duration of the time. And it's, and I used to think, wow, why is he so fixated on how long we're going to be somewhere? I, I really don't know. But even if I give him just a, a sort of idea of like itinerary for the day, it really does change his outlook because, mm -hmm. um, you know, the transitions are easier. And um, I can say for, my son um, and my co-founder's son, they are the best of friends. They really are compatible. It's great that they're, they speak pretty much the same language. My son's a little bit more hyper than um, her son, um, but they get along really well. And what we see is that if we're doing something in one room, like working at home on the, on the computer, they'll come from where they are, even if they're on their computer or playing a game or video game, they'll come into our company. So it's not always like there's a conversation going on or we're watching the same movie. They'll ask, mom, where are you? <laughs> they want to be around you. And even when I'm we're at families, they might be doing something in another room and they find that people are, you know, migrating towards the kitchen, they'll follow. So it's not always that there's this engagement, but they want to know that they belong and, this is their family where they should be. And I think that should be in many environments, school, playgrounds, throughout, you know, there should be access and acceptance. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So do you find your son, um, does he get along better with other neurodivergent kids? Or how does you have the neurotypical kids at the camp? Like, how, how do you facilitate friendships with your son? Well, it's something I'm working on because it was a real struggle. Um, like I said, I, there were friendships that I had to um, set aside with mothers that I got along well with, but my child and their child didn't just because of really different interests and that sort of struggle 
um, to reciprocate these social interactions. You know, um, my child would take more of a pause while the other child is, you know, reacting to this or reverse. And sometimes there were those little, those touch points weren't really happening. And, um, but then there was always, so some, I had to say goodbye to some relationships and really form more of a community, which I'm actively working on. Um, I would say Dash has um, autism and ADHD. So he has both of that like fixated on, you know, interest and can really get into hyper-focused, but then he's very impulsive and reactive um, as well. So it was really identifying those triggers and me taking a pause. What, what is making him react to that? And instead of me being so reactive, it was like, what's going on right now? You know, what are you feeling? And a lot of problem solving and, and including him in the problem solving. So, um, so I'm very open about talking about this thing. So if there is a, a conflict with another child, we talk about it. You know, you might take a break, take a minute, but when we come back and talk, what were you feeling? What made you upset? Okay, so I see he did take that, you know, grabbed it out of your arm. But we're going to share it now for five minutes and then five, you know, then we resolve it. And um, a lot of it is, as a parent, it's learning on your uh, learning for yourself, <laughs> really. Well, it sounds like you <clears throat> were very involved. You didn't just, like, let them play together and you went and did something else that you kind of stayed tuned in to the play and intervened and stuff. Is that? Oh yeah. I think that's necessary. Um, I've always said we go to, if you go to a gathering, I, I, I have eyes behind my head <laughs> because I, my, my engagement is not always so deep with, with, you know, the adults there because I'm always like, Hmm, what's happening in that corner. But as time has progressed, I've been able to be at a park and be some distance from my son and he'll play for quite a long time with another child um, because he's learned some of those social, social cues. Mm -hmm. And um, what's so different because at one point we were in, um, we were doing social skill classes and I really wasn't happy with them. They, they weren't authentic. They weren't an organic sort of situations. And that was one of the reasons, again, we sought to find something would really be just more organic to how children interact. And that's through play. That's through creative, you know, activities. Um, not looking at a whiteboard and saying, this is Jim, when you see Jim shake his hand. But those, those are things that happened. It's and you're true. sort I'm of like, oh, I, I know, it's true, yeah. Sorry. But so not natural. And there are there is going to be conflict. And... Um, you really have to talk it through and no one's right. There's no one's wrong. Like I said, but it was really, yeah. Getting in between that, a lot of apologizing to parents, a lot of working it out and a lot of explanation. And I'll, I'll just mention that um, I've been told, I'm not going to say, but some people have told me you don't have to, um, you know, share with everyone that your child is on a spectrum. Um, you don't have to educate anyone, but I'm like, no, actually I do. I do. And I've made that a mission of mine to educate because I'm not going to go to the park and have everyone stare at us when something happens and have these assumptions. No, I'd rather educate them. I'd rather walk over to them and say, my son's on a spectrum. He's having a moment. And sorry that that incident happened. We can reconvene after he's calmed down. That's the mom that I am. 
<laughs> and if I have, you know, if I have, if I'm notorious for that, that's okay with me. Yeah. Thank you so much. That's, um, I, I think that's such good, um, like role modeling what you're t talking about and good example <clears throat> for other parents, because I agree with you that you have to be involved and out there and, and educating. Yeah. Them to be. Yeah. Bella, yeah. Do you, oh, go ahead. Bella, do you want to read some comments for us? Yeah. There are lots of people agreeing with, um, what's been said. I agree a hundred percent. I agree. I agree. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, as um, Ross was saying, my life autistic. Uh, yeah, being quiet is a bad sign for me. I'm usually really struggling by that point. Um, it can knock your mental processing. <clears throat> and um, yeah, I think that was the rest. It's just, I agree, I agree. I don't like Zoom calls, <laughs> Helen said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I prefer them as compared to face-to-face -face ones. <laughs> Go for Zoom. <laughs> um, I just wanted to, to say some things um, as well, because um, uh, when you ask Jen, you know, what's the... Um, uh, what's the the moment when a parent might understand that the child, the autistic child, is is actually ready to socialize or or interact again after they've been on their own for a while? Um, I um, I used to notice something when I was teaching in the classroom, you know, um, and uh, what I was noticing was that um, after the, uh, you know, neurodivergent child took some time off, he did what they did, what they wanted, you know, to do or took their own time in whatever space we had in the classroom assigned for that or whatever space they were choosing for themselves if they wanted to. I noticed that after a while, they started um, um, just looking what the others were doing. So if they were drawing something or if they were um, having um, any, you know, anything that was comforting them, like a little blanket or a soft toy and so on, and they were just focused in there. I knew that when I've noticed in time, nobody kind of told me or taught me, but I've noticed in time that once they start looking and really looking what the others are doing, it was a sign for me that I can talk to them and say, would you like to come and join us to do that and that? Or would you like to join them to do whatever the other children were they were looking were doing? And I've noticed that it was like 99% of the time they were ready and they said, you know, yes. So that was the sign for me that they were not focused on, on what they were doing by themselves anymore. They were paying attention to what the others were doing. And that's a sign. And it's it happens the same in my studio in here, you know, when the child uh, is coming and maybe they... I don't know, something happened at school before they come to see me or something happened in the car or they are just not feeling themselves. It happens the same um, in here. You know, I might play some soft music or some soft songs or I might just say a story, but I'm not insisting on them to interact with me or I'm not uh, trying to get their attention desperately with something. You know, sometimes I just have to 
show this to the parent and the parent is trying to say oh look at bella look at bella oh look at bella's got that bella's got that look at this page in this book and i'm just trying to tell the parent kind of <laughs> they will look when they are ready you know and uh, when they are ready they look sometimes it might take you know 3 5 minutes sometimes it might just be the end of the session when they are ready Uh, but it doesn't mean they didn't pay attention because next time when they come they look around the room to find the book that i read previous time when i thought that actually they didn't pay any attention but they actually paid attention to what was going on around them and uh, yeah i think kind of to answer your question and what um what was uh, amista or something like that the name was sorry i'm so bad with the names i think especially when the child is not verbal like um um like this uh, mom said um it's it's a bit tricky to ask them you know are you ready to come and join us or would you like to take some time or and i remember when my daughter was not talking much and she started talking like at the age of 4 and a bit um it was really tricky we just did lots of observing her and when we were suggesting ideas to her we were just looking to see when her eyes were really like glowing for an idea or opening up we were just trying to read this way what actually would be beneficial for her so yeah that's what i wanted to say um hi <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, no, I think that's um being very observant and looking for subtle signs. Yeah. Um Denise, were you going to say something? Well, you really can't underestimate the power of music, right? We use it to motivate, you know, to do an activity, to get going in the morning. Um we watch things on YouTube so he sees other children interacting, having fun. he responds you know with his body to it um so that's one of those sensory stimu- stimulating um activities so what um bella's doing is fantastic and yeah observing um it's amazing you have to be observant and they're they're observing you too right. so it's really a back and forth the synergy of um stopping and yeah not i love what she just said you it's not about you know kind of pestering them what's going on what's feeling even when there's a meltdown um sort of just stepping back and going have your moment and and they have it and then sometimes they go okay maybe they are looking to get a certain response you know this sort of coddling and what not and sometimes they're like okay i didn't get that as much as i wanted so next time i won't make such a i won't make such a fit <laughs> i won't you know i won't it's a gradual thing nothing is overnight there's a level of maturity and we're not looking for miracles but there there and Jen can attest to this there's a maturity that comes with being on the spectrum or ADHD you know it growing up and i really believe part of that is having those social interactions those connections with others so there there is that modeling but then building that self confidence that who they are is okay just the way they are and if they're stimming if they don't want to eat that if they want to sit on their own it's okay you still belong here with us we're still enjoying your company you know so it's um Absolutely. i always just say this is this is um this um dash is my only son and it's not 
how I saw motherhood, but I'm becoming a better person for it because there's, like I said, I'm just how I respond, how I'm less reactive to certain things, how I don't take things so personally anymore, you know, um, and I'm growing from it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And I think also not just maturity, but that acceptance and allowing them to be themselves. And if they're having a meltdown, giving them the time, you know, and not making it more of a stressful experience for them. You know, I'm melting down. Oh, no, mom's gonna be mad at me. And you know, that kind of stuff by just accepting and allowing. Yeah. Yeah, it's really I think we all want, we all want to know that we connecting we all are concerned that my co founder Josie and I, <coughs> we see our sons growing up together, we see them going, you know, on their on double dates together because <laughs> um, they're, they're just one year apart. They attend the same school. We live 10 minutes from each other and they've known each other since the age of like two or three. So they're eight and nine now. So we, we have a vision of that and we want to know that, that if there's time of trouble or their uncertainty or they're feeling depressed, that they can reach out, you know, they don't have to feel isolated. They don't have to feel alone. And if someone else can, you know, give them that encouragement they need or just a, an ear to listen to. And that could be a neurodiverse person or a neurotypical person. Um, so it's, it's, I really, I really believe in the power of friendship and that we as parents should encourage that at different levels. Like I said, the spectrum is broad. So there's going to be nonverbal, there's going to be, you know, verbal, you know, different levels, but we all just want to belong and your kids want to belong. And, and there just needs to be that education, that acceptance, that how they present themselves is okay. Yes. That's beautiful. How are you, how are you feeling about that, Jen? And what was your childhood like as far as friendships? And... Um, definitely. My, my, I wasn't diagnosed until um, just last year, but um, my friendships, I, was introduced to um, a gal that was a friend of the family and we were like best buddies for Aww. most of my childhood. Um, we drifted apart after a while, but um, cause I usually had like one or two close friends um, was definitely considered more, you know, odd in school. I wasn't good at sports or wasn't talkative and the quiet loner type. So um, people typically didn't approach me because they thought I just want to be left alone all the time. Sometimes I did because school can be overwhelming. But um, other times, you know, I, I did want to be included. I did want to be um, called on to um, participate in a sport, even though I stunk at it. But <laughs> um, And then, you know, now growing up, I have, you know, I still have a few close friends who um, uh, most of them are neurotypical. Um, but they've come to, you know, get, got to know me and accepted me through, um, you know, my, they met my sister first and then met me and I just kind of was adopted into the friend circle. So, uh. um, <laughs> um, so, you know, it's really great, you know, when they, they have an understanding of, you know, what I've been going through with the, you know, diagnostic, the diagnostic process and, um, you know, just kind of like, oh, she's still the same person, even, you know, she has that label now. It's, it's, um. It's good. So, you know, also 
and you know going into the neurodivergent community online has been a huge blessing as well you know reading other people's stories and being able to connect on you know even an online level not just um, an in-person level has been awesome too so well, I have a question for Jen. Jen, from early on, were you interested in art? Have you been always been creative, you know, yeah, doing artistic things as a child? Yeah, yeah. I definitely have always loved art. Um, my mom kind of introduced me to it because she's also creative. Um, so I kind of kind of got away from it a little bit in middle school. And then a friend suggested I start taking some art classes, especially photography in high school and that's when I really felt myself come alive like I, I found my passion I found my special interest and it was a way I could express myself more visually instead of verbally mm -hmm. so yeah that's wonderful very yeah that creative special interest and now she could make a living from it yeah yeah for sure that is wonderful and you mentioned um some of the struggles in belonging in school so is that similar um what we're talking about is that need to feel belong that you belong but having a hard time kind of joining in yeah definitely um I think a lot of like my communication style I, I always feel like um someone has to speak to me first so it's almost like I don't have permission to talk to anyone <laughs> in my own brain <laughs> that even though it's not true but it's just kind of how I am someone needs you know talk to me first or prompt me with something and that typically is how I communicate with people so when they kind of feel like you're off standish and you're like quiet um that you know then they'll avoid you or leave you alone think you you know don't want interaction mm -hmm. so definitely um you know that's kind of part of it the the um needing someone else to start it kind of situation um but also just all you know having very different ways of looking at the world and very different um communication styles can be difficult um so say one of my neurotypical friends like really likes to talk or go shopping in a, a mall or something and that's not my scene i'm more of a let's um you know go out for a walk in a park or um maybe do a paint night you know event or something <laughs> so sometimes you know that conflicting interest can also make it hard to um you know connect with others as well so is it easier now that you understand your neurodiversity and what's going on with you to kind of talk to your friends about that? Does it, do you have a little more confidence in saying, oh, I can't go to the mall because of all the stimulation or whatever? Yeah, for sure. I've definitely yeah. got more confident um, because for a while, you know, internally I'd be like, you know, why am I so different? Why am I doing all these things that, um, everyone thinks is weird or why can't I, you know, do what they're doing? Um, I just can't without all this anxiety eating away at me. Um, and now I feel like I have words to say for that. I feel like I can be like, um, you know, I, I can't, you know, hang out this week. <laughs> I've had too much social interactions. Um, you know, I've hit my allotment of words for the day <laughs> or, um, <laughs> You know, sometimes, yeah. you know, I even had coworkers uh, um, from previous jobs who would assume I just didn't 
like them or didn't want to talk to them anymore because I never even said hello in the hallway and avoided eye contact because I don't make very good eye contact either. So, um, and then I, you know, I had to explain written in a written format, you know, I, I realized I have this sensory processing um, issue and at work I was just so overwhelmed that I just could not, you know, expand any more energy to add those little um, conversations with other people. So, wow. So did that change things? So you wrote to them and explained it in writing? That's brilliant. So did that change things for you there? Definitely. I definitely think they um, understood more and it, you know, it made me feel better knowing that, you know, I can come to them and, you know, just tell them straight up what, what's going on because now I know what's going on and um they also um you know understood and um Mm -hmm. you know I I didn't really have a chance to interact more in person after that but I think you know because I ended up leaving the company not so okay um but you know I I feel like you know when we do see each other again it'll be okay so yeah I love that because I think for a lot of autistic people, it's hard to verbalize that stuff. And then the anxiety and the social anxiety. And so you relied on a, a strength of being able to write and communicate yeah. that way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you were saying, Denise, about um, educating people and letting your child know why, you know, so that it, there's not that mystery. And then there's that anxiety that goes along with it. Like, why am I different? Or how come nobody else does what I do so yeah it's funny because whenever I do have something planned like you know a Christmas event or we're going to like a basketball clinic or something or workshop he's always very question you know questioning me how long is it going to take who's going to be there (laughs) because he had I can I can sense that anxiety so I'll tell him and we'll go he'll have a fantastic time and he never wants to leave and in the car he's emotional when can we go back I love that. And at the time, you might not think they're enjoying it, but, you know, they're, they're experiencing it. They're taking it all in. And um, so I'll, I, one thing I would say, I would just encourage, I would encourage parents not to shelter their children. You could take it little steps, little steps, but the world is wonderful. It's beautiful. There's a lot of activities that are family kid oriented that I really believe I would like to see more of the neurodiverse community participating in. I would like to be able to recognize them and walk over to them and have a conversation with them. And I don't see enough of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Um, I think an individual also though, because you know, I've met some families where they have multiple children and the, they're, Um, neurodiverse child needs very close supervision and there's other factors that um, get involved but I I agree with you I think little by little certain environments that um, can be conducive for your child for sure Mm -hmm. yeah Um, Bella do you want to comment and read some comments (laughs) yeah I was just thinking when Denise said about the going to an event and then lots of questions that's exactly what we have and um 
um it depends you know of the situation she you know she might our daughter might know you know a week in advance and then we'll have a week of questions absolutely every time when she's free repeating the same question over and over um and then the next day repeating it again and so on and so forth and before i knew better i we used to get frustrated and think to ourselves what's wrong why is she asking it so many times and um sometimes uh, she it's not only the anxiety sometimes she just want to hear wants to hear the answer over and over again and sometimes as uh, we know about um, autism and the working memory you tell her the answer she's forgotten it by tomorrow because it's not one of her priorities to remember all of that and then in the car you know an hour or half an hour drive or however long is up to there we have the questions again but when we answer the questions we also teach that social skill that denise was talking about because i am doing some social skills um classes with songs and um you know musical games um and i am i'm i'm doing all the time i'm practicing those social skills in my interactions in music i mean it's impossible not to practice those social skills uh, you know um and but however you know once she has asked the question we don't just give the the answer we present it like in a larger context modeling to her what the behavior might be the behavior of other people what she might be able to do when we get there you may be able to meet so and so they might want to play with you what's your favorite game that one do you think that would be the same favorite game for the other person and what happens if it's not and they really want you to join in this game that you don't know so we also ask some questions back and um we've noticed that I, I, it's been about a year when we've really been doing that and it also helped a lot because her language um has boosted as well and that it, that helps with the back and forth conversation as well but we've also noticed even like in the middle of pandemic and we didn't go to that many events we've also noticed that her socializing skills and the anxiety you those socializing skills have really really improved i mean there's not that much prompting we need to do and she's not that dependent on us anymore like the niece said she can go and have fun with somebody and just turn her head and check if we are still there which she couldn't do like a year before and also her anxiety levels are lower every time because she also started to make connections so when we tell her something we remind her do you remember on so and so occasion oh what happened how was it how did you feel what was good from that what was not good what can you take good now in this new event whatever the new event is and it does require and it is a bit draining and that's not how i envisaged my parenthood either you know <laughs> being so full on all the time but we've noticed the great benefits um for her and um yeah i mean i'm using it in my practice all the time i'm asking the parents in texts all the time like two times a week let me know if you have an event let me know if you have so let me know what she's done over the weekend or what they've done over the weekend tell me because i can put everything into my session 
instead of saying that uh, Teddy played with the duck and the duck did that, I can give them exactly the example that is in their life instead of making up some other ones. And I, I really noticed that it matters a lot. And um, yeah, we have some comments as well, but <laughs> I'll let you <laughs> Thank comment. You, yeah, no, I think that's wonderful. And, and some kids respond so much better to music. And so putting that in songs, I think, is just amazing. Yeah, yeah. to get them energized and to calm them down. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So many benefits. Um, yeah. Yeah, you know, when you... Um, who was saying, uh, Jen, you were saying about, you know, how you, you make friends or how you start making friends. We have Ross saying... Um, it's because others can make their mind up about you by first impression, but it takes me a while to understand someone, so I don't make assumptions. Um, our minds work in possibilities, and you even need answers to what might happen. Um, say you find out you're going out, that's an unpredictable environment, so the more you can expect and prepare for, the easier it can be, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah, and sometimes as a parent, we're I, I often say, "Well, I'm experiencing for the first time too, so we're going to experience it together." Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not sure what that. the kids, kid museum is about, but we're going to learn and experience it together. You know, so yeah, it's definitely talking about it, the scenarios that making that that communication. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. so vital. Very good. Oh, that's great. And then, of course, it's individualized to each child so that, you know, one child might feel overwhelmed and they might need more visual information. Um, but, yeah, this has been fantastic discussion. And um, we're kind of getting toward the end. But I'd like to ask, um, Denise, do you want to make any other comments or anything else you came up for you while we're talking? Um, I hope I shared um, my story and just how what I believe in, like I said, um, there's different levels, there's different, everything should be individualized, everything doesn't, you know, there's not one, one size fits all. Um, but parents just be open and the possibilities are endless. I love what that um, our one of our listeners said. I like how they say they look at the world of possibilities, so they don't make these judgments they're open to experience. It's just how they ease into it. And we're, we have to be understanding, accepting and supportive of that. Um, but, and we do that through education and empathy. Tell us more about the camp. The camp is going to be forming. We are, our first camp was a pilot program and it was quite successful. We raised um, funds through, um, uh, crowd crowdfunding and we had um, great sponsorships and it was a great camp over the summer so we're looking to form um, a nonprofit 501c3 and we're kind of planning our calendar for the year we know we've we've had so so much interest so we want to grow it and we want to get sponsorships so we could have these really enriching um, outings as a community, as families, as, you know, children, so they can have these. We're really looking to advance um, social mobility and equity through shared experiences and peer support. 
And it's just going to evolve more and more because our children are growing. <laughs> and there's more for them to experience. There's more interactions for them to have. There's more things for, to educate and for them, these experience for them to share. That's beautiful. And the, this can be a model for people to do in other areas to, to learn. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Fantastic. Jen, how about you? Do you want to say any closing comments? Anything you want to leave um, us with? I'm just, I really love what you all are doing and um, just making such a, a change in different um, kids' lives who definitely need it, you know. I was just thinking when I was a kid, um, you know, I would have loved to have some of these resources that you guys are providing now, which is really awesome. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Bella, do you want to read the final comments that are coming in there? Yes. Uh, people were really impressed with what you said at the end, um, Denise. Thank you very much <laughs> um, for sharing that with us and for doing that for everybody in our society. We've got a suggestion, start an autism group for friendship on Instagram. Not sure how to do that. <laughs> um, e. said, stay open. Definitely. Yeah, look. <laughs> we already have subscribers, Jenny. If you're going to open that group, you already have, Ross has subscribed already <laughs> to the group. <laughs> um, that honesty and openness really helps my life autistic. Yes, we we have to we are so thankful to our guests and grateful for their openness, I have to say. Um absolutely loved this. Thank you very much. Emotions learning content. Thank you for being here, Lynn, <laughs> and supporting us. Um but yes, I think that's uh that's how we we actually grow and learn when you when we see somebody else's openness isn't it and that's how we we learn a lot and grow a lot at least it's you know it's valid for me um yes very well said here here that's it so <laughs> i would say thank you so so much uh, denise for being here and taking from your time Thank you, Jen, as well. It was really lovely to see you again. <laughs> yeah, you too. Yes, thank you, thank so you Jen, much. for organizing this. Thank you, Jen, Jen. <laughs> yes, this has That's been great. Jen. Thanks for inviting me. It's been a real pleasure. Yes, and we'll be here. Um, so I think somebody asked if we do this every week, and we do um, every Wednesday, 12.30 Pacific, 8.30 UK time. So we'll have it. We'll do another chapter and have more discussions. So if you'd like to be come on live with us, just let us know. And um, we're just having a great experience with this. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing your from your experiences, Sarah said. Said yes, that's true. Thank you from for sharing from your experiences and your true selves. <laughs> Yeah. Have a lovely day or evening. Thank <laughs> you. Bye. 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 B